Good morning, Patch Nation. It's your boy Ray here. Welcome back to another edition of this podcast brought to you by Dear Patch Nation. Bruce Arians threw some major shade of Bill Belichick in the Patriots. Did the Celtics really consider trading Jalen Brown? Josh Uche, the breakout candidate. The Bruins lose again. Pedroia done with the Sox. Hey, man, the Celtics lost, but it ain't that bad. We're going to talk Cam Newton. We're going to talk Adam Gates. We're going to talk a whole bunch of stuff here on Good Morning, Pats Nation. All right, ladies and gents, going to talk a little bit of Boston sports here. As you know, I am not a fan of the Boston Celtics, Boston Red Sox, or the Boston Bruins, but diversifying myself as a broadcaster. And, of course, I am surrounded by Boston sports fans, so we're going to do it the way you like it because we know our fans love it too. But before we start, i got to address something. We are live tonight, as we are on Monday nights, with our boy Tyson, and we don't monitor the chats on Monday night. And Love Vibration Nation was generous enough to send us a $10 donation. And I'm going to bring in my boy, Connor. Connor, how are you? Good. What's going on? Pretty good. Here's what Love Vibration Nation said. He said, the Saints gave the ball away three times. Brady didn't have one sustained drive, even with a stacked team. Tom only good on short field. Rodgers doesn't turn the ball over. Green Bay wins. Saints drop two picks. Hashtag facts. What is your response to that? Actually, I'll start with the very beginning. I think the Saints actually turned the ball over four times. I think Drew Brees threw three picks and Jared Cook fumbled, right? Correct. All right. The thing about that, though, was Brady capitalized on those turnovers. Um, one of them was at the three-yard line. The guy returned the ball, but I think the very first play, he threw a touchdown to Mike Evans. Um, the Saints were kind of going to take control of that game when they threw that first down to Jared Cook, and then he fumbled, and then they completely turned around when they came down and scored. Then um, the interception again, they scored again. The thing was they turned the ball over four times, and when they did, the Buccaneers capitalized off those turnovers. So it was, you know, partly the Saints shooting themselves in the foot, but when they did, good teams take advantage of that type of stuff, and that's what happened. All right, thank you, Connor. We will bring him back a little bit later to give us some expert analysis, but we're going to go to our first story of the day, and that's Bruce Arian reveals major difference in how he treats Tom Brady as opposed to the quarterback's time with the Patriots. This is by Tyler Sullivan of CBS NFL saying, Tom Brady's in a conference championship game once again. In a vacuum, that statement isn't anything new. After all, he's now reached the doorstep of the Super Bowl 14 times in his career, which is by far the most all-time. What is different, however, is the team he'll be taking with him as he makes a bid to reach the big game. Instead of it being the New England Patriots, the club he won six Super Bowls with over his two-decade career, Brady is taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the conference title game in his first season with the club. Along with the jersey being different, Brady's first season in Tampa Bay has seemingly been a night and day experience in another regard. Coaching. It's not hard to spot the differences between Bill Belichick, who follows more of a a militaristic approach, and Bruce Arians, who adopts a more laid-back style. 
While the two coaching techniques have produced similar results with Brady at the helm, Arians did highlight how he unlocked one aspect of Brady's game that was largely capped in Foxborough, singing, quote, consummate leader, Arians told NBC Sports' Peter King of Brady. He has been all year. Got the air of confidence that permeates throughout our team every day. I allow him to be himself. Like New England didn't allow him to coach. I allow him to coach. I just sit back sometimes and watch. Buccaneers linebacker Devin White also gave a strong nod to Brady's ability to coach up the rest of the team, saying, quote, thing I love about Tom is he's always teaching, White said, teaching me how to be a great leader. Every single day, every single practice, he puts the team before himself. First few days he's in the locker room, we're all alike. We're in the locker room with the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, I want to, I want to talk to him. I want to get a picture with him. But then he's your teammate. You're here for a reason. A few weeks ago, I was kind of upset that I didn't make the Pro Bowl. He's like, D, there's a bigger bowl I'm chasing. We're all chasing. Come on. I just thought, man, it's a blessing to hear that. I need to hear that. This thing about us, he's still chasing those bowls in his 40s. I'm just so grateful to be able to spend this time with him, end quote. This ability to have a bigger voice within the Bucks organization may have been one of the more attractive aspects of Brady leaving the Patriots last offseason. It's likely much easier for him to use his aura of being the greatest of all time on a brand new team that features a more, res more receptive coach in Arians than the situation he had in New England. After all, trying to coach in the manner that Arians highlighted may be difficult lane to merge into Belichick, especially after having decades of time rolling through a certain routine. No matter which way you prefer, however, you can't argue with the results as Brady's had his, pa had his Patriots routinely in contention and is now firmly has the Bucs in Super Bowl conversation. He'll now try to reach the Super Bowl for the 10th time in his career with the Buc when the Buccaneers roll in the Lambeau Field to take the on the Packers on Sunday. Heading over to some Celtics news. The Celtics discussed trading Jalen Brown in the James Harden trade talks. Boston Celtics general manager Danny Ainge fed into NBA rumors this past weekend, suggesting that his team did engage in the talks with the Houston Rockets for James Harden. By now, you already know that Harden was dealt to the Brooklyn Nets in a four-team trade last week that brought back four first-round picks as the centerpiece for Houston. Boston had apparently been involved in Harden trade talks for some time ahead of that deal materializing. ESPN's Brian Widhorst made his claim on his recent Hoop Collective podcast, noting that Brown was discussed as a potential target for the Rockets. There's no telling how far the, talk, the talks got from there. What we do know is, is that Ainge has been steadfast in his unwillingness to trade either Brown or fellow star Jason Tatum in the past. That included talks for the likes of Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis. That's despite NBA rumors linking these Celtics to both star players. It's highly unlikely Ainge seriously considered moving off of Brown for a volatile personality such as Harden when he wouldn't pull the trigger for either Leonard or Davis. This comes on the heel of previous reports suggesting that the Rockets' asking price from the Philadelphia 76ers for James Harden's was seen as too pricey while Philadelphia was willing to discuss Ben Simmons, it would not part with rookie Tyrese Maxey in a package for Harden. Despite not pulling the trigger on a Harden trade, the expectations here is that Ainge & Co. Will be, active, will be active ahead of the March NBA trade deadline. Boston certainly boasts the second-best record in the Eastern Conference at 8-4. Both Brown and Tatum have morphed into legitimate stars. 
The time is now to pull off moves that could help the Celtics challenge the loaded Brooklyn Nets, among other top-end teams in the conference. While it would be a much lower scale, Boston has assets that would add to its talented core group. Young big men Robert Williams and Grant Williams, as well as guard Carson Edwards, Romeo Langford, and Aaron Neesmith could be of interest to other teams in the next couple of months. Now we're going to bring back Connor. Connor, welcome back. Yeah, buddy. So Burn Blackmaster of SB Nation wrote that Josh Uche was named the Patriots breakout candidate of the 2021 season. He says the New England Patriots linebacking core suffered some major turnover during the 2020 offseason with Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins leaving in free agency and Dante Hightower later opting out of the season over coronavirus concerns. The team did also add some youth to the group. However, with Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings both hearing their names called on day two of the draft. One of them, Uche, has has now been identified as the Patriots' breakout candidate for the 2021 season by Advanced Analytics website Pro Football Focus. PFF Sam Munson had say had to say that the following about the second round pick, saying, "Quote." Josh Uche is an incredibly inexperienced player in terms of playing time at both the college and NFL levels, but on the snaps he does have under his belt, he has been consistently impressive. Uche played just 179 snaps in his rookie year in New England, yet generated 14 total pressures on 99 pass rushes. He put together a 75.1 PFF pass rushing grade, and the Patriots are not overburdened with elite pass rushers. The opportunity should be there for Uche to have a much bigger role in 2021, and all the evidence we have from him at any of the levels say he will make good at that opportunity to generate some real pressures on quarterback. Injuries limited Uche to just nine games during his rookie season, but he did make a big impact as situational edge rusher alongside Chase Winovich and John Simon. The Patriots did not just see him on the edge, though. But he also tried to take advantage of his athleticism by employing him in a versatile move role that Hightower, Van Noy, and Collins also popularized during their time with the Patriots. He played both on and off the line. Heading into 2021, it's not hard to see Uche becoming an integral part of the New England's new look front seven and see an increased role. Connor... You and I have both spoken very highly of Josh Uche over this Mm -hmm. season. Are you surprised at all, or is it not shocking at all that PFF has pegged him as the breakout player of 2021? I'd say not shocking at all. Um, I think we've, from what we've seen out of Josh Uche, he looks fantastic as far as pass rush goes. So I wouldn't be surprised for him to take a huge step forward next season. And if I had to pick somebody on the defense, it would probably be him. I wouldn't be surprised if he had double-digit sacks next season. What would your ideal role be for Uche heading into next season? Predominantly a pass rusher. You know what I mean? Some Something similar to what we've seen out of Chase Winovich. Um, Chase, I don't want to say had a bad season. I thought he had a pretty decent season, but I'm hoping Josh Uche can take a bigger step forward and, you know, consistently pressure the quarterback. That's what the Patriots really need next year is somebody who can constantly pressure the QB. Were you disappointed by how little Bill Belichick used Josh Uche this season? That's it's hard for me to say because you never know what Bill Belichick's planning and especially with rookies. I I know I've said this before. I feel like Bill kind of slowly builds them along. So he might have only been giving him a more limited amount of snaps, knowing that next season he's expecting him to take a big step forward. 
when you look at this Patriots front seven, I can include young players like Adam Butler, Chase Winovich, Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings. Do you believe that the Patriots have the right core pieces to build on this defense uh, heading into 2021 and beyond? Yes. I mean, I, I like Josh Uche. I'm still high on Chase Winovich. I thought Kyle Duggar had a great season. Um, they obviously added Adrian Phillips. Uh, hopefully JC Jackson comes back. You, like you said, Adam Butler. They definitely obviously have a few pieces that they need to add on this defense for sure, but they have a good young core on defense that they can build around. Defensively, what position do you want to see the Patriots draft this year? It has to be uh, nose tackle. Gotta, gotta. They haven't filled that void since Vince Wilfork left. Gotta get a run stuffer who can clog the middle. When Vince Wilfork was here, that was when the secondary predominantly struggled. But they could never be ran on for the predominance of his career here with the Patriots. They were always one of the top rush defenses. They need somebody who can clog the middle again and linebacker because even if Hightower does come back, it's probably his last season. Thank you, Connor, for your insight on that. We will bring you back here in a minute. But right now, I got to tell you that the Bruins were shut out. The Bruins shut out by the Islanders one to nothing. This comes from Ty Anderson of 98.5, the Sports Hub. The Bruins' offensive struggles continued on Monday and hit their low point for the opening three games as they were shut out by Simeon Vermolov and the New York Islanders by a one to nothing mark at Nossack Coliseum. I felt like both sides hung on to the 0-0 draw for as long as they could too as the game-winning goal came off a high bat in from New York from New York's Jean-Gabriel Pegu <laughs> with just over 4 minutes left in the third period. Boston landed 27 shots on goal in a losing effort but were unable to land more than 11 shots on goal in a period which came in their opening 20 minutes of action. The Bruins' middle frame came with two high-quality looks on Vermolov. The first, a shorthanded look from Jack Studnicka and Sean Curley combo. And another, an even strength with Studnicka, found Nick Ritchie for a one-timer that couldn't squeak through the Islanders' net miner into the net. Boston's third kicked off with another successful penalty kill, but failed to translate into quick offense the other way, and were dealt a brutal blow when Matt Grouchke left with an undisclosed injury following a tie-up with the Islanders' Jordan Eberle. But it was the Bees' goaltending that once again kept them in the game, with Tuka Rask making the best save of the night on Anthony uh, Bolviller, Bo- <laughs> Breakaway with 10.28 remaining in the third. I'm in trouble if i got to keep covering hockey because these names are impossible to, to say. The Bruins then immediately complicated their issue with a Charlie McAvoy penalty drawn. Their penalty kill came through the clutch once again, however, and set the Bruins up for a 6-on-5 opportunity with a minute and a half remaining in the third period. The sequence came with looks as well, with Nick Ritchie on the doorstep for a pair of chances, and Brad Marchand able to put it through Vamarlov off Ritchie's rebound that skittered to the right. New York's victory snapped what was a 10-game home losing streak to the Bruins, home losing streak to the Bruins, and with the loss, the Bruins have now gone three straight games without five on, without a five-on-five goal. Quote. I suspect there'll be a bit of that, and rightfully so, Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy said when asked if it's frustrating is beginning to creep in into his team's offensive game, but we're not cheating defensively. The Bruins will return to Boston for what will be a four-game stretch at TD Garden, beginning with Thursday's home opener against the Philadelphia Flyers. 
Over in baseball news, and we're going to bring our boy Connor back for this. Justin Pedroia's future impacted by the Sox roster. This comes from Ian Brown of MLB.com saying, with the Red Sox hoping to make more headway with offseason acquisitions in the coming weeks, their 40-man roster is that it pertains to Justin Pedroia Bears watching. The four-time All-Star and four-time Gold Glove Award winner didn't play at all in 2020 due to his problematic left knee, and he isn't expected to make another comeback. Pedroia has played just nine games since the end of the 2017 season. However, Pedroia has one season and $12 million left on his contract. Unlike in the past few regular seasons when the Red Sox have been able to keep him on the 60-day injured list, that is not permitted during the offseason. In other words, Pedroia is taking up a spot on the 40-man roster that the Red Sox could well need as a chief baseball officer, Shine Bloom, adds to his 2021 team. Boston's 40-man roster will be full force once lefty Martin Perez passes his physical and signs his new one-year contract that includes a club option for 2022. To make room for Perez on the roster, the Sox on Monday had to trade their number 14 prospect, CJ Chatham, an infielder to the Phillies for a player to be named or cash considerations. To remedy the potential logjam, the Red Sox and Pedroia could work out some sort of parting settlement in the coming weeks. The Boston Globe's Peter Abraham tweeted that a resolution could come this month. Given Pedroia's importance to the franchise, the Red Sox have been giving him the latitude to try and decide how he wants this situation to play out. Pedroia could join the Red Sox as a consultant or instructor if he wants to be affiliated with the club. The Red Sox will find a spot for him. While Pedroia definitely has the leadership, knowledge, and passion to be a coach or manager at some point, the general expectation is that he will spend most of his time with his wife and sons in Arizona in the coming years as he continues to distance himself from his playing career. In fact, that is what Pedroia has mostly done since May 2019, when yet another comeback attempt had to be aborted due to a recurring knee pain. Pedroia had planned on coming to spring training in 2020, but he suffered a setback the month before camp opened and has basically been idle ever since. The 37-year-old was drafted by the Red Sox in 2004 with the 65th overall pick. In 1,512 career games, Pedroia slashed a 299, 365, 439 with 922 runs, 1,800 hits, 140 homers, and 725 RBIs. He was the American League Rookie of the Year in 2007 and won the AL MVP the following year. Pedroia was a central figure on a World Series championship team in 2007 and 13 and got a third ring in 18, though his main role that season was a mentor and unofficial assistant coach. Connor, you're a big Red Sox fan. Mm -hmm. How do you feel that Pedroia's time with the Boston Red Sox is coming to an end? I feel like it is time. Um, it's been a long road for Dustin Pedroia. This was inevitable. He had that knee injury and they just he's never been right since. He hasn't played. I think you said it was like eight games in the past three years. It's It's been a while for Dustin Pedroia. It's going to be sad to see him go. It's the end of an era. He was fantastic, obviously, for a decade, and he stayed and played his entire season with the his entire career, I mean, with the Red Sox, and he was always a class act. So it, it'll be tough to see Pedroia go, but it, it's time. It is what it is, man. Everyone's career comes to an end, and if he wants to stay around, I'm sure the Red Sox will do right by him and you know make sure he gets paid this season. And if he wants to be a part of the team as a coach or a mentor, they'll find some sort of position out there for him. But uh, congrats to Dustin Pedroia, and I've appreciate, I appreciate everything he's done for the team for the past decade. 
I know that he hasn't played in a few years, but this has to be a tough stretch. I mean, we're talking 11 months for Boston fans who saw Tom Brady leave the Patriots. Mm-hmm. You saw Mookie Betts get traded to the Dodgers. Yep. For Boston Bruins fans, Dan Chara left the team, and now Justin Pe- Dustin Pedroia is leaving. It yep. really feels like, I mean, outside of Mookie Betts, that the entire... 2010s has now left the building right this is this is definitely another just uh another name that's being added to the end of an era this one does hurt a little bit less because he is going to be retiring and i did see this coming i think pretty much anyone who's been following the red sox knows that his his knee just wasn't going to get any better unfortunately but yeah you're absolutely right man this is kind of the end of like the really big boston names that you know have been real big figures for the past 10 years for all of the 2010s. When you talk about the popularity of Red Sox players, where does Pedroia say rank with guys like David Ortiz and Pedro Martinez and, and those kind of guys? Just slightly below, man. Dustin Pedroia is very well liked by Red Sox Nation. Um, I feel like David Ortiz is like the main figure. Big Poppy will always be like the number one Red Sox figure. Um, then you had um, Pedro Martinez, Manny Ramirez, all those guys who won the original 04 World Series. I think because they were the first ones to win it in 80, 87 years, 86 years, um, they'll always be like uh, the the fan favorites. But Dustin Pedroia is right up there, man. All right, Connor, I want to keep you here because here's another one from the Providence Journal, the Milford Daily News. Mark Daniels saying Newton has already shown that he's not a good fit for the Patriots. The Patriots face another offseason in which they're in need of help at quarterback. It was never going to be easy to replace Tom Brady, and that was apparent after a difficult 2020 season. In honor of Brady, the Providence Journal will look at 12 veteran quarterbacks who the Patriots could acquire. Cam Newton. 2020 stats in 15 games, Newton went 242 for 368, 65.8% for 2,657 yards with eight touchdowns and 10 interceptions. He also rushed for 592 yards and 12 touchdowns. Newton will be an unrestricted free agent, fit with the Patriots. Newton fit in with the Patriots in 2020 because he's a great leader. Players navigated towards him because of how hard he works. He was a joy to be around and he represented the players voting him captain. However, on the field, it seemed like the Patriots were trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Newton has talent as evident by his 12 rushing touchdowns, but his lack of ability as a passer made the Patriots one-dimensional. Newton threw for 300 yards twice, but failed to reach 100 passing yards four times. Newton would benefit from a team and offense built around him. The Patriots weren't that team. That Cam Newton experience wasn't all bad. The veteran set franchise quarterback records in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns in the regular season finale. He became the first Patriots quarterback to haul in a receiving touchdown. Yes, there were some fun moments. However, between Newton's ability and his lack of talent at receiver and tight end, the 2020 season was a failure. Newton had the opportunity to win or send a game into overtime in four of the Patriots' first five losses. It'll be interesting to see what Newton's market is. He signed an incentive-laden deal worth the league minimum last summer. Newton will likely be paid more than that this offseason. He's also said that he doesn't want to head into the next season as a backup quarterback. Bill Belichick's comments on Cam Newton October 2nd, 2020 said, quote, Cam does a great job of connecting with everybody, whether it's his teammates, his receivers, guys on defense, other people in the organization. He's here a lot in the building and he's visible. He's in sight and is connecting with people as much as any player. 
He's in the building more than any player on the team. He spends a lot of time talking and connecting and building relationships with those people. I mean, he has tremendous leadership, so it's very impressive. Odds. As the season went on, Newton didn't seem like a great fit for the Patriots offense, and it does make sense to see each party here give thanks and move on. Theoretically, the Pats could sign Newton to a two-year deal, make him a bridge quarterback, and draft a young quarterback to mentor. Newton's a great guy and would be a fine mentor. However, Newton wouldn't say if he would be back after the Patriots' regular season finale against the New York Jets. And we're not too sure the Patriots want him back after he threw for more interceptions and touchdown passes. It can be argued that the Pats would be better served to acquire quarterbacks who are more natural passers, especially in an offensive coordinator Josh McDaniel sticking around. Newton would also be better served to, a team, to find a team that runs an offense catered to his skill set. One potential landing spot could be in Washington where Newton would reconnect with his former Carolina head coach Ron Rivera. That would seem like a better opportunity than New England. Connor, let me ask you this. Is Cam Newton's leadership worth to bring him around to mentor a young quarterback? Yes. I mean, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, I think he would, he would be a good leader. He would be a good mentor. Cam, I mean, everything we've seen, he's a team guy. He's a good guy. And every, all of his teammates had nothing but great things to say about him. Um, it's going to be tough to see what the, the Patriots decide to do here though, because I think there are other guys who will also be good mentors as well. You know, we've discussed them trading for Matt Stafford. I think he'd do a fine job. I think Jimmy G would be fine. Um, and it, it, it depends what, what Belichick's real plan is because if he's going to go with, even if he does go with Cam or Matt Stafford or Jimmy G, I know they'll probably be around a little bit longer. Is he going to go looking to the draft this year for the future quarterback? That, that I don't know. Would you be, would you be comfortable with a Cam Newton coming in for two years? If they brought in Cam Newton to mentor a young quarterback and be the starting mm -hmm. quarterback as a Patriot fans, would you consider that two wasted seasons? And would you look at the possibility of, okay, this is us waiting for the future? Yeah, the, the thing there is that the way I would look at it is they absolutely have to hit on the quarterback in this draft. It would have to be kind of what the Chargers looked at this season when they brought in Tyrod Taylor, but they also drafted Justin Herbert. And then they were kind of like, hey, if it doesn't really start to work out with Taylor, we know we can just go right to Herbert. And, you know, we don't also have to have the option of just throwing him out there week one. So they kind of had a balance of, of both worlds. Then obviously the huge mishap with the uh, team doctor and then Herbert just got thrown thrust into the starting role and did a fantastic job I think the Patriots would have to do something like that if they were to bring back Cam Newton they'd have to you know have a quarterback who they're planning on going to at some point whether it's halfway through the season or whether it's three years from now if Cam Newton was to be there for two years but then that would also give them the opportunity to say hey if Cam's doing fantastic we're not in a bind where we have to play the rookie and if he's not then hey we have an option who isn't Jared Stidham who we can actually go to now if Josh McDaniels was hired as the Philadelphia Eagles head coach mm. and the Patriots had to bring in a new offensive coordinator that perhaps could figure out a better way to use Cam Newton, would you be mm -hmm. more inclined to see Newton return to New England? That's a that's a really good question as well because that would kind of change things as well. Would we see him do a lot better if they brought in a you know, an offensive coordinator, maybe from college, who's more familiar with the RPOs and who's able to, you know, bet better 
formulate a game plan for somebody like Cam Newton, who's more of a rusher and not like a pocket passer who Josh McDaniels is much more used to with Brady, that could change things as well. Visit RockyMountainBarber.com and get all the products you need to take care of your hair, beard, and skin. Get their small batch, all-natural beard bombs and oils, pre-shave oils, lotions, hair products, razor blades, and so much more. Visit Rocky Mountain Barber Company and use the promo code RAYROUTE and save 5% off all your orders. Get your small batch hygiene products at RockyMountainBarber.com. You can get your male hygiene and grooming tools and take care of everything below your belt from manscaped.com and use the promo code RayRoute and you'll save yourself 20% and get free international shipping. So take care of your boys and get all of your male hygiene and grooming tools at manscaped.com. So what I was saying when I realized my mic was muted was that we do have one more story for you and we're going to keep Connor with you. You didn't hear me say that, did you, Connor? I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. Okay. My mic was muted and uh, right. I didn't know. So I apologize. Day day. Four of the podcast. We're going to make mistakes. There we go. So this one comes from Yardbreaker, and it's saying that Red Sox expected to take a conservative approach with Chris Sale. Mm -hmm. Even though left-hander Chris Sale is slated to throw off a mound later this month for the first time since undergoing Tommy John surgery last March, the Red Sox could take things slow with the starting pitcher's rehab, according to ESPN's Buster Olney. Sale who turns 32 in March, last pitched in a big league game back on August 13, 2019. The Florida native signed a five-year, $145 million contract extension, which includes an opt-out after 2022 and a vesting option in 2025 with Boston shortly before the start of the 2019 season. Because of the money they've invested in him, the Red Sox writes, the Red Sox writes only, quote, would only, would love for sale to come back and be a factor at some point in 2021, but are more apt to take the conservative approach. Put another way, the pace for sales return from Tommy John surgery is expected to be a deliberate, according to sources. As only notes, pitchers typically take anywhere from 12 to 15 months to recover from the elbow reconstruction that Tommy John surgery. With that time frame in mind, Sale in theory could be on track for a June or July return to the mound this coming season, especially given the hurler's drive. Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer Shine Bloom said as much when speaking with reporters back in November, saying, quote, With Chris, we're still looking at a midsummer return to have him fully stretched out as a starter, said Bloom. But everything continues going along with that. Arms doing great, which is awesome. While Sale's arm might be doing great at the moment, there is a legitimate possibility that the Red Sox would not want to rush the seven-time All-Star back too soon, given the fact that he's still under contract for at least two more seasons. Both the team and the pitcher have reason to take a long view of his recover. Lonely wrote Monday, the bulk of the left-hander's production for the Red Sox will happen in the last three years of the deal. Per Sport Track, Sale is set to earn $30 million in 2021 as well as $30 million in 2022, $27.5 million in 2023, $27.5 million in 2024, good for a hefty sum of $85 million over the final three years of his contract. He has a full no-trade clause included in there as well. Taking the idea that sales, sales timetable could be pushed back further than initially expected, Boston may be due even more to address its starting rotation and needs to now, 
Taking their idea sales timetable could be pushed back further than initially expected. Boston may need to do even more to address its starting rotation needs between now and the start of the 2021 season. Red Sox manager Alex Cora touched upon this issue when appearing on MLB radio over the weekend saying, quote, I think being deeper means the world this year, said Cora. You come from a shortened season and all of a sudden you're asking these guys to perform at high levels for a lot of innings. So you've got to be careful. So we're trying to do that and at the same time compete the highest level on a daily basis. Connor, let me ask you something now. After the 2018 season, Cy Young season for Chris Sale, Mm -hmm. do you believe that the Boston Red Sox made a mistake giving him so much money? No, no. Chris Sale is one of the people that I believe in deeply. I love Chris Sale's drive. I think he's a maniac. Anyone who's watched him closely knows that he's just as mad about this injury as any of the Red Sox fans are. Um, I think he's going to be pushing to come back. I wouldn't be surprised to see him back sooner than they're saying. I think the only way he doesn't come back sooner than they're saying is because they might force him to do so. It seems like he's already well well on track. I mean, it's January now when he's getting ready to throw off of a mound. You know, so that that to me means that he's going to be ready to throw in an actual game in the next few months, which we're still about three months away from the Red Sox really getting going and playing actual meaningful games. I, I fully expect Chris Sale to come back strong as ever and to still have a good season. He's only 32, and the issue in the past has been his arm, and now that he's had the reconstructive surgery, I, I have a lot of faith in Chris Sale. Well, right now spring training is still – scheduled to start at the end of February. We don't know Mm -hmm. if that's going to happen because of obviously the pandemic and all that kind of good stuff. But MLB, as far as I know, is still trying to push for an April 1st start. Yep. Can the Red Sox survive if it is an April 1st start till the end of June, beginning of July without Chris Sale in their rotation? Yeah, that's that's going to be tough. Obviously, they've done little to address that to this point. Um, I'm hoping to see them make some sort of trade or do something in the meantime. Uh, I thought it was good that they added Martin Perez the other day for depth. He wasn't terrible last year. He was one of the few people that actually contributed outside of Nate Eovaldi. Um, but I, I think they're going to have to score a lot of runs. They're going to have to be scrappy if they want to still be in the mix come June and July because that's kind of halfway through the season at that point. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a tougher season for the Red Sox. But I, I think they might be all right. Alex Cora was interviewed on the weekend, and he said that he believes the pitching depth is deeper than it was in 2019. Going into the 2021 season, pitching has been one of your biggest concerns. Yeah. And and it's it's become a budding joke between you and I on Twitter. No matter who we talk about, I ask you if they can pitch. Would you agree with Alex that the pitching is deeper than it was in 2019? I'm trying to think who they had in 2019. I think it's actually pretty similar. Um, they're going to have Eovaldi. They're going to have Erod back at Chris Chris Sale, obviously, at some point. They're bringing back Martin Perez. Um, I can't think of the kid's name off the top of my head, but he pitched at the end of last season. He was actually a rookie, I believe. They brought him up from AAA. So he's, he's supposed to be a bright spot as well. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily deeper. I don't think they're that deep when it comes to the starting rotation, and they're definitely not deep in the bullpen, but uh, it's they're definitely drastically better than they were last season, that's for sure. So 2019, 2020, disappointing seasons for the Boston Red Sox, fair, fair yeah. assessment? Yeah, yeah. 2019 wasn't great. They were, they were kind of bad, and last year they were the worst team in the league. 
What do you expect out of this Red Sox team heading into this year in a in a division an AL East that you just saw the Yankees bring on De- DJ uh, resign Lemayhu? Are... Yeah, they brought Corey Kluber in for two time Cy Young winner. The Toronto Blue Jays are a young team who are yep. actually been making some moves in the offseason too around, and they got that core of Bo Bichette and Baggio and yep. and Vladdy. Uh, Tampa took a little bit of a hit this year, actually lost some of their better players, so maybe they're down, and, and Baltimore is Baltimore. Where do you see the Red Sox sort of ranking in the AL East? The, the middle of the pack, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the, the Yankees are stacked. The Jays are an up-and-coming team. They have a lot of good young prospects. Um, the Orioles, I think are going to probably struggle for the most part, like they usually do. And Tampa Bay was very good last year, but like you said, they lost a couple guys. So I think they're going to be in the middle of the pack too, but this is going to be a good division all of a sudden. Do you see the, like in your, in your opinion, is it the Yankees and Jays coming out of the AL East? Yeah. I mean, the Yankees have to be the clear cut front runner for this division at this point. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. As you know, I'm from Toronto, Canada, so I'm sure, and I have a lot of listeners who listen to our podcast from Toronto. Yep. Uh, do you think the Blue Jays can make a wild card this year? I wouldn't be surprised at all. They have a lot of young talent. They have uh, Biggio, they have Vlad Jr., they have Bichette. They, they're they're going to be a pretty good team in the future as well if they can keep those guys. They've also been adding to their pitching. They signed Ryu last year, who had yep. a decent year. Um, final question for you before we call it a day. And everybody else can go on with their day because it is 5.37 a.m. right now if people open this up the moment it was released. But yes, uh, uh, you're up early, Connor. I know. Seriously. I never <laughs> sleep. <laughs> um, final question for you. If, you were, if I were to put you on the spot right now on January 18th, yeah. will the Red Sox make the playoffs this year? I don't want one of your crazy, the Sox are going to be legit, kid. Give me some real analysis. Are the Sox good enough? to make the playoffs this year or is there still because or are there still questions in the pitching rotation and in the lineup there are there are a lot of questions they're they're good enough to make the playoffs um but as they sit right now will i say that they definitely will no i I can't come out and say they will the yankees are the clear-cut uh winner to win the division at this point to be perfectly honest Uh, do i think that they could make it to the wild card absolutely um, but they still need to do more. They haven't done much to impress me at all this offseason. The ongoing joke with everybody on Twitter is they're interested in everybody and sign no one, and they're, they're, they're going to need to do something. If things don't change, it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. Well, Pats Nation, you heard it from the expert himself. Everybody, I want to appreciate and thank everybody who came in and tuned in today. This podcast didn't go exactly the way I envisioned it, but it's starting to get there. It's getting better. I got a clear-cut idea of what I want to do. Great news. I'm going to make the announcement now. Connor will be joining us for every podcast Monday through Friday here on Good Morning Pats Nation. So will our other broadcasting colleague, Sarah Marshall. Yes, sir. So the podcast is getting better and better. A mix of news, mix of analysis. Make sure you tune in to our live stream tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time. It will be Connor, Sarah, and I answering all of your questions before we come on the podcast and get down to the nitty-gritty. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Take care. See ya. See ya.